What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your yes, hosts, sir. Ron and Chris. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. We have a very special edition of the Hacker Valley studio this time around. We're actually headed to Heavy Bits uh, Dev Guild, and they're focusing on enterprise security. And one of the great things about it, it's a half-day conference. It's in San Francisco. It's going to be this uh, Thursday, November 14th. Uh, from 1 to 5.30. And they were gracious enough to give us a, a discount code. The discount code is, is HackerValley15, all one word, when you go to check out. And that gives you 15% off. Great. So we have a special guest who's actually going to be at the conference. Uh, we have Odie Lupescu, who is currently the VP of Security for Ethos Life. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show uh, glad to have you, and I think we're going to have a really special uh, conversation. If you could sort of give our listeners uh, some of your background and how you got to where you are today, that'd be great. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's exciting, and um, I'll start by um, kind of going back to my beginnings uh, in security, which were longer than I want to admit. I think it was <laughs> in the 90s. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's been a long time, but I came through um, your typical uh, path of as I think it happens to quite a few uh, folks in security through, through an engineering path where I was working in um, uh, basically operations. Um, it's kind of the, the typical security engineer, uh, security uh, uh, platform engineering um, uh, system administration and moved into security engineering roles, uh, starting financial services and moved around a number of uh, companies, uh, some of them very large, uh, 200,000 people plus, and some of them very small. Uh, 150. Um, most of them in financial services. I spend a, a good amount of time in advisory services. So that uh, sort of gives you the perspective of how the world actually works. Right. Um, because if you get to see 50 different companies and learn how they work, it gives you a good perspective um, uh, on, you know, there's no one way to do things. There's no right way to do things. So, um, I worked my way through uh, to different hands-on roles and eventually ended up leading a number of security programs. Um, the latest being at Ethos Life. Um, I joined recently uh, the company and yes, I'm looking to build a security program, which is uh, what I've done in my last couple of roles. Fantastic. That's awesome. It's funny that you talk about having these experiences when you interface with all these different companies. I, I felt the same. I was a consultant though. Uh, just being able to see different environments, different uh, different ways people are running security programs. I mean, that's that's worth its weight in gold. So when you go into new environments, you're like, oh, I've seen something similar to this, and this is how we kind of solve some issues. Yeah. So I I'm always curious, you know, what's the extent of building a security program? What what's the extent that you're taking? What are what kind of things are you involved in? Sure. Uh, before I start, actually, I was going to give you a, a quick example of. Um, what you just uh, what was uh, just mentioned uh, with the per, the perspective you get from working with different companies. Um, so, as an example, uh, I was uh, I had a large retailer, twenty five hundred stores across the country. Uh, they were trying to be PCI compliant, and what they would do, they they actually had um, uh, reach an agreement that twice a year they would have a local companies basically go on at stores. And they would ship a CD with patches. And mm. this company would go and install patches manually at every store based on this CD. 
And the first reaction is like, God, it's got to be a better way than that. <laughs> Even though this was like somewhere in 2010 or so. But when you realize that there are satellites and uh, there was no other easy way to do it, you, it kind of humbles you. You realize that people do things for a reason. Right. And yes, you got to approach things with sort of the beginner's mind. So where that kind of, kind of, and then moving on to building security programs, it's the same idea. Um, what, what it typically is involved, you, you walk in a company, and this has been the case in the, the last couple of uh, uh, organizations, where there's, there, either, there is no program, or in one of them, there was a semblance of a program, but for instance, in one of them, there was a breach, and everyone was let go. So you walk in and there's nothing. There may be some tools that everyone, someone has put in place, but there's really nothing doing anything in terms of security. So you kind of come up with uh, sort of a, uh, a list of concerns that's fairly common across most organizations. What do I worry about? And then try to figure out, well, if that was to manifest itself, how, what would be the outcome here? And what controls are here in place? And go around the organization. Uh, I, I basically speak with everyone, try to understand their perspective on the concerns, and then try to build a roadmap. I do a kind of a current state assessment, and I pick up any frame. Uh, basically, lately, I've been using NIST CSF. Mm-hmm. It's the most lightweight framework. But this is my day one. This is how I was day one. I can use that to benchmark against other organizations in the same space because it's fairly common uh, uh, in terms of use. And then I come up with a plan and um, execute. Like, and most of the time, I try to focus on what could get us today? Can I put some preventative solutions in place? Not knowing that I'm not going to prevent everything and then start building also some of the detective controls, some of the governance controls. So kind of moving between different areas, um, but addressing the most significant concern first, the ones that are particularly unmitigated. Right. Did that, uh, did that answer the question? Yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. And uh, one thing that I, I think is really important to mention, and it's really hot in a bad way in in the media, but there's this thing with third-party risk. When you're building an original security function, a lot of times you need help because if you're coming in as a, as a soldier of one, you know, walking into a place and trying to build it from the ground up, you need help. You need to reach out to other folks to, you know, help you with services, help you with applications and right. things like that. And right before the podcast, we started talking about third-party risk. And you had some really, really great insights on, on how you actually go about third-party risk and, and handling that and mitigating it. Uh, would you like to kind of step through that? Sure. Um, I, think, I think the problem is that um, essentially that there is a great, the only consistency in third-party risk management is that there is inconsistency. Everyone looks at it differently. And uh, you can take X number of companies and there's likely you're going to come up with uh, maybe X different ways of looking at third-party risk. In my situation, um, and I think I'm not the only one, you have the, the issue that you're in a governance role. And one thing you're going to try to do in a sane and reasonable way and practical is say, look, we can go and start signing up contracts with companies left and right. Not everyone should go and start clicking like the click-through agreements and then start putting company data or relying on critical services based on that type of click-through agreement. So we have to have some governance. We need to understand, are we exposing ourselves? Are we introducing more risk than we're actually creating opportunity with some of these third parties? So 
on one hand, I'm trying to create that governance. On the other hand, I'm trying to bring in some solutions to help me with my security program. Well, in my case, some of the solutions are going to be smaller vendors, more nimble companies that have very interesting solutions. Basically, they fit the, uh, the sort of the paradigm that I'm experiencing, which is agile environment, uh, what I like to call control accident, where things happen so fast and the idea is you break things and it's okay to break things. So I need to, br to bring in solutions that support that model and oftentimes there'll be smaller vendors. And then I run the, the question, well, what, how do I assess them? They're not gonna necessarily meet all the criteria. They're not gonna have a SOC 2, for instance. How, how can I say, I'm okay with using that, that vendor, but perhaps I'm not okay with using another business vendor uh, because they don't have a SOC 2, but I'm okay with using the security one. So how do you get around that? And not only that, but how do you get comfortable that a vendor will actually be able to um, uh, kind of provide some level of assurance that your, whatever they do for you is, is not going to be compromised? And then you'll have to explain it away. Sure, I, get, I decided to do business with this third party that does say zero trust. Right. Um, they're a 20 people company. I love their product, but what happens if something goes wrong? How do you explain that to someone afterwards? Right. You say, I, I chose to do business with a 20 person company with no, no validation of the security controls in that organization. And, um, and um, you know, that, that was okay for me. So that's why together with a number of other folks, we've, we've tried to kind of come up with what is the, the minimum criteria that would use for a specific context for specific vendors? And one of the ideas we toyed around with, toyed around, we're, we're exploring, is the, the verification and validation of particular feature set. So let me explain how this would work. Um, I have a company that will need access to my API keys to my Google account. And that means they'll have access to all the emails potentially. Right. It's not just that they may be, say, sensitive customer data in that email. Who knows? Um, I can put some DLP solutions, but still. Uh, but it will be emails internal that I really don't want to have the, uh, the risk of exposure. It will be very hard to, to undo something that comes out of that. So how do I reconcile this vendor that would need this access and would provide a great service if they would have the access with the fact that I don't really trust them? To, to give them the API keys. Mm -hmm. So one, one way to do it is to, to work with them and say, well, how do you protect the keys? And how do you assure me that no one in your organization can actually access the keys or misuse them? Mm -hmm. And then they will lay out their controls. They will say, well, we use say Amazon KMS right. and this is the process we built and we put all these other controls around this so no one can get to it. And then you say, that's great, but I don't know if you're actually doing it. How about you engage a third party and you actually ask them to, uh, to validate that you actually are doing that. Mm -hmm. And even also, you can ask them to see if they can break through that. And that would be an example of um, basically a validation, a verification of validation of critical functionality. Mm -hmm. So even though they don't, may not have a SOC 2 and they may take them a while to get a SOC 2, if I have some assurance that they're actually protecting my, my secrets, I feel comfortable doing business with them at that point. And as part right. of a um, uh, kind of a process. But I'll stop there. And does that, uh, does that make sense? What do you guys think? 
Yeah, I think I think that's awesome. Uh, what have you found from kind of doing those validation reports? What's been like the sh- surprising on the great side and the surprising on the uh, this really needs to be improved side? Well, I don't think there's been too many done. There's been a few companies that have done through it. Um, one that I know of is this company for All Secure. Um, they have uh, they have actually um, underwent they underwent a uh, testing uh, based on formal verification, and they're one of the very few companies that have done it. Other mm-hmm. companies have expressed potential interest in it, but I don't believe this is widespread today. There is the issue of cost. I mean, this doesn't necessarily right, right. come yeah. cheap. And secondly, I don't know that too many companies are willing to open themselves up to that level of scrutiny because I don't know too many companies that may have done it right. Right. So, so it's a little bit of a hand-holding exercise. Um, and, and I don't know that I have enough insight. I'm working with two companies right now trying to, uh, to go through this uh, process and determine, can we do this? Are you willing to do this? One of the companies that I'm advising, I'm also walking through the same process and I'm, I'm trying to say, this is what you should do at this point. Let's do this verification. I've, I've reviewed the, the entire secrets management process and we're going through this exercise of scoping uh, um, uh, sort of an engagement with a third party that will come and validate that. Right. And you get a prestigious organization that could come and say, yes, they've done this. There's, there's literally a very limited risk if someone was to uh, to put their secrets in their system. Right. I hope so, to see some more work on that. That sounds uh, like pretty exciting and kind of what the industry really needs. I know for kind of looking at endpoints, they're going through their own evaluations with the uh, MITRE ATT&CK framework. They're right. uh, starting to evaluate vendors and their uh, efficacy for specific types of attacks. Like, does it truly protect against this specific type of attack. I think it would be great to see that from what are these uh, applications introducing in our environment too. Right. Yeah, that, that's the, the, I mean, my only real concern about it is like, there is definitely an additional cost and there's not only an additional cost monetarily, but also resources because you have a TPM, a technical program manager that's managing a vendor yep. possibly coming on and then you're, you're sort of handling like a third party as well. I think the best case scenario is almost like a lawyer construct where you have this uh, assessment company on retainer in order to say, hey, you know, can we get a, a bulk deal, you know, retainer for so many hours a year for so many, um, in, uh, in, uh, you know, onboardings and things like that. But uh, do you think that's how it should look? Should it look like that? Um. Well, I think it's slightly different. So uh, in many ways, this, the, what I was referring to is not really a proof of efficacy or of um, uh, actually providing the services that are advertised. is primarily a, a, a proof of you're not introducing additional risk to me by providing this service. Right. Uh, it's for me to determine whether you do what you're supposed to do. That's part of my testing. So for instance, for my zero trust, I'm going to trust. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test what you say you provide. But that would be upon me to do that. What I want to pro- what I want to check on you to one engagement. It doesn't have because here's here's the other angle to this. Again, it's not never that's that easy. Say you uh, this company will say I'm protecting your secrets this way, and no one can ever get to the secrets to your AWS environment that mm-hmm. you use the zero trust. And that engagement will be a one time only. Say maybe once a year. 
um, and they will go and look at the way you built it. But then the idea is if you iterate fast and you likely make changes to that, so you would have to almost build something in that uh, engagement where you say, anytime you make a significant change to the way you store my keys, I want you to have this third party again coming and doing things. So right. at that point, what you're describing as a block of hours where somebody comes and basically revisits what you've changed and restamps it right. would be what's needed. Not easy, as you pointed out. I don't, <laughs> it's, it's hard to do it, but let's face it, how else can you, right. if, I mean, how else can you make me feel comfortable with doing business with you? Right. And I don't know, would you allow, would you do business with a company that has a SOC 2, but they still, and the SOC 2 is, again, think of just one trust criteria, security. Yep. You feel comfortable with a company that has a SOC 2 and you give them your AWS keys? It's a big risk. It is. So, what, so in your case, what would you feel that is sufficient or adequate to, to see from that company? in order for you to give them that, that level of access? I mean, it would have to be, you know, something on that level, or I mean, even if it's like, let's say it's a younger company that has a smaller team, if, if they can show me at least, you know, documentation, and we can kind of see like what, what they have planned out for, you know, what their infrastructure looks like, what their security looks like, I can, you know, you'd be able to sort of make a judgment as to whether they did their due diligence to secure data or not. Um, not everybody's going to be open to do that. I mean, it really depends right. on how bad you need that solution. But um, yeah, I, th I think that that would probably be the bar minimum for me. I think for me, it really depends on the application or the solution that I'm right. trying to Absolutely. bring in. If, yep. if it's going to provide just tons of value, maybe I'm willing to accept a bit more risk, but yeah, a, a company with 20 employees, uh, I've been there. Mm -hmm. I, I would expect a larger organization to really kind of nitpick and figure out what is this company doing. So I would, I would really be kind of on the nitpick side. Yeah. Which kind of brings an interesting point because uh, if you nitpick, you may never, again, it's kind of like the opportunity there. You may yeah. miss the opportunity. And what I've discovered was very fascinating. Some of these small companies, 20 people companies, they have, large clients i want to be yeah. the large i mean large so and you kind of scratch my head well you know this is again this is random this randomness and this is a consistent way of assessing third parties other mm -hmm. companies are using them mm -hmm. and, and you you're like well how, how did you get past that so so yes if you need pick and i think that's also kind of another challenge what exactly do you need pick right, right. And, and if every company, every, every other company would, would nitpick at a startup, that startup would not build anything in the product all day long. They would just be answering the nitpicking. <laughs> True story. So, <laughs> yeah. so how do you make it sustainable? And that's the idea of the validation. Uh, and you have the idea of, again, um, the shared assessments, the, um, um, what I was going to say, the stock, the high trust, the the agreed upon procedures. If you guys remember the agreed upon procedures? Did, no. Did you? Okay. So that's a funny story. Um, although it's probably, okay, funny may not be the right word. Back in the day, and that would be in the 2000 time frame, early 2000, uh, shared assessments was a collaboration between financial services organizations. And they put together this, um, this uh, sort of, the, one of the things that came out of it was the SIG, the Standard Information Gathering Questionnaire. And they, basically all this large financial 
predictor this is, said, we are going to measure third-party risk based on this SIG that we're going to send to everyone. They're going to give it back to us. Standard set of questions, all 500 of them. There was a light version that came later, but initially there were like 400 some odd questions. And the idea is that you can, you can either review it manually or you can put it in a system, ingest the data into a system. Um, together with it was also developed, uh, there was a process that was called agreed upon procedures, which calls for organizations that were accredited to perform this uh, assessment to go and perform a set of uh, testing, uh, test, uh, uh, tests uh, for clients, third party vendors to financial service organizations. You, the assessor would not impart any judgment on the results. They would just say, I'm going there, I'm gonna look at all this, for instance, I'm gonna look at all your PCs and I'm gonna see how many of them have an endpoint protection. That's it. And then it was up to the their clients, the, the financial services organization to say that's okay or it's not okay, uh, that vendor was okay or not. And it was fascinating because yeah, I remember back in the day, um, they were like, basically the companies like Yodley at the time, they would have all these clients and they would do this assessment. But at the same time, many of their large clients would not accept it. And those would be the same companies that have developed the standard. And they would say, no, you're too much of a risk. And no matter what, I'm not gonna accept this agreed upon procedure. So it was very difficult for them at that time, for instance, to say, look, we're doing something and we can prove it. Um, and don't come in, every company doesn't come and ask us the same questions because it really is wasting our time. But every, every large company would still come and ask them the same question. Right. So it, it was along the same vein that what is that framework? And um, can the community come together with one? Um, and are the vendors that are doing the scorecards today, are they helping right. or not helping? Mm -hmm. what, are, what are your thoughts? Do you, uh, do you see something like that being kind of put together? I don't think so. I don't know that there will be something that everyone agrees upon. Um, you will have, you, it hasn't happened yet. The, 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 the road to a third party standards, third party risk assessment is littered with attempts that never made it. Right. And, and look, one of my friends is actually developing another solution in the third party risk assessment space. I mm -hmm. think it's a really good, I think it's a good idea, but this is an awfully crowded market. Right. And, and, being nowadays with a company that's being assessed by other large companies and they're coming with their questionnaires. I got to tell you, I'm on the receiving end and I was on the receiving end in the previous role. Right. Uh, and at the same time, I would go assess someone else. So did this kind of two way street and realizing that I would try to do something that I believed was uh, practical. So not ask too many questions, focus on my concerns. If I give you something or you do something for me, this is my concern. So the only thing I'm gonna ask you is what's my con concerning me versus some of the other things that I would receive that would be sort of the thick kind of never ending questionnaires. So I'm pretty skeptical that there will be something that's commonly agreed upon. There may be mm -hmm. a couple of platforms to assess third party risk based on whatever criteria. But I don't know that that will work for startups. They'll be very hard to judge startups based on that. And I don't think anyone will trust that if it comes down to, here, I'm gonna give you my uh, cloud uh, uh, API keys. Right. There's gonna be a limit to what you trust on all these scorecards and so forth. It's okay for maybe the guys that do the janitor work, but I think right. for something else, maybe a little more challenging. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there is there's space for the honor system? Like if you provide 
a questionnaire, you know, to the, uh, you know, potential vendor to fill out, like, could that be something that would work? Some people will accept it. And again, it's based on the randomness and the inconsistency, the sort of more irrational way of um, uh, assessing vendors, because I've seen it, your concerns, um, the concerns between different people are wildly different. So my, my take is uh, some people will accept it, I may accept it if I have a specific, uh, like, a, I, I don't know, if I have a belief of whatever reason that the vendor is doing the right thing. So I really mm -hmm. trust him for whatever reason. Like right. I trust the farmer. I know that he's trying to do the right thing. Um, in that case, maybe I can rely on that. But even then, my, my heart will tell me, look, trust but verify. Right. Uh, yep. Sure, you, you sent me some question, but am I in a defensible position if something goes wrong? That's a question I think folks should be asking themselves. Right. If I ask some question and then I rely on it, is that sufficient if something goes wrong? Can I explain it away? Right. If I've done a little more due diligence and actually check some of these things or ask them to prove to an external party, then I can say, look, there's risk everywhere. I mean, things happen. At least I've done some level of due diligence and I didn't recklessly say, I'm gonna start using a product from a company that has 20 people. Right. And, so that's the, I'm on the mindset that no matter what, how much I like a solution, I'm trying to get to a point where I uh, where I can have some level of validation that uh, that vendor will not risk uh, the company that I work for. They they won't risk they won't introduce an unnecessary risk for the company for my right. company. Yep. No, I think that's that's brilliant. But I I also think you know you being in so many leadership roles in security organizations, you know. If a, if a leader, if a CISO makes a mistake based on something that the company's already doing, they can get in trouble. But now you're, you're potentially introducing vulnerability and risk to the organization, which is like even more impactful. So I think that's something that, you know, all, you know, security leaders need to be thinking about these days for sure. Yeah, it's harder to explain it away if it's your product. You know, like right. here, I lost the Amazon keys and guess what? It wasn't the guys running the infrastructure, it was me guys. <laughs> Right. I, I gave them away, so so it's not. But it's not. It's really kind of doing your doing uh, things in good conscience um, mm -hmm. and, and trying to do the right thing for the organization and for the vendor. So I think there's a middle line where you can do both, right. and um, and again, not necessarily, um, not necessarily say, oh, I really like that. I think it's a really cool security product. I'm going to do it. I just know of, uh, and I know of this in a couple of instances where companies, larger companies, fairly large, are starting to use some companies, some products that I have insight into. And I would say, God, I, f I would feel really uncomfortable starting to use them mm. where, where they are today. Um, so, yeah, I, and again, I, I don't know how that is, but in my mind, I would have to do a level of due diligence myself before uh, starting to use something. Or use something that a third party has validated that and i think that's a that's a critical part of uh, things here yep it's fine if you say you do x y and z have someone else validate it and it doesn't have to be a SOC 2 sure there are companies that will need the checkbox have a SOC 2 and you're good but if you're going to sell to security conscious people at some point the SOC 2 is going to have rapidly diminishing return so validate something else Something that's a little more meaningful that people think there's a risk in your in your organization. Figure out what the biggest risk is, and try to put control right controls uh, around that, and then have someone else validate that you're doing the right thing. How does a customer 
start that conversation with a, a vendor? Like, how do you bring it up in a way that doesn't spook a vendor because they might have uh, uh, an application that you really, really need, but you need to have this conversation because you want to feel safe. So, uh, so I've been having that, and I think it, there's a couple of ways a conversation should start. Um, I think there there's a lot more um, conversations happening nowadays between founders and practitioners, as in CISOs. Um, I was trying to uh, to do that through sort of uh, there's different avenues. Um, there's the um, sort of events that happen uh, generally through the VC firms and where you get folks coming together. And I think as part of this event, the conversation gets started. This is what we believe you ought to do. So you start it there. You don't necessarily start it when they come and talk to you when they're doing the pitch. You can do it there too, but ideally this starts before. Ideally this starts when the company starts building a product and therefore that security blueprint for startups, I think it's an important uh, aspect. The other one, the other way is, Really, I, actually, you can do it even during the initial pitch, where, right. where the company comes and pitches a solution. My, like in my instance, I was, I said, I was uh, just discussing this with a company, and I said, look, I really like the product. I would love to use it. This and very upfront. This is my constraint. I have to, I have to do the uh, at least some level of due diligence to ensure that I'm not introducing uh, risk to, to the organization by using your product. And I said, how should we do this? How can we validate that you actually do this? So it wasn't me saying, look, go get an assessment. I asked them, how do you propose we do it? And right. let's, let's engage into a conversation. And I'm happy to basically find the middle ground. Mm -hmm. So most of the time, the vendor will be interested themselves. And they'll actually come in and say, hey, if, can you help me do this? Because I can use this for someone else afterwards. So I found that most companies, most startups will have an interest in doing something in the belief because they know we're not going to be the only, I'm not going to be the only one asking the question. Someone else will. Right. So they're really looking for this help. And if you're a practitioner engaging with the, the founders and other people, uh, I would say take the time to engage with them, especially if you like their solution, engage with them and try to, to help them uh, find this kind of um, uh, right way to, for them to, to demonstrate that they built the right controls. Yeah, absolutely. From that, from uh, just being on that side, you know, being on the startup side, I 100% agree. I, I think that I had some great conversations with early adopters and really just kind of got insight as to what organizations were worried about from a product perspective, but also product security perspective. Yeah, and I think most companies would benefit from having an advisor in a, in a CISO. And I think CISOs are looking increasingly, uh, I mean, it's just been a night and day change for me to see the community. First of all, community coming together. There are CISOs collaboration forums. Yeah. Um, hundreds of CISOs, like every day collaborating on all sorts of issues in real time. That's, that's great. It's a great way to, um, to, to actually make something happen, uh, even in, in this regard, in third party. But also the fact that within the community, there's a lot more uh, interest in working with founders. And it's mm -hmm. not really the, only the financial aspect. Sure, you become an advisor, you get some part of equity and so forth. But it's not right. just that. I think a lot more folks are realizing that they're going to be on the receiving end. Uh, all these companies that are coming up, if the, the right thing is not built in, someone in your company may come, it may be a security solution, it may be something else, but someone will come and say, I want to use this. And then you are the bad guy that's going to say, well, I don't know. I think there's, there's a concern there. 
So if you can end up, if you cannot end up doing less work, uh, creating opportunities for everyone, making friends, I mean, potentially building relationships and even making friends in the, in the, in this process, working with this uh, companies is great. Now, of course, that that's totally different from a large company. Like if you take a Palo Alto networks, um, it's going to be a totally different model. Um, I think this is more applicable to smaller companies and smaller vendors. Um, yeah. So, so I think it's also important to delineate between very mature companies that have built a, a, a lot of trust and have a lot of gravitas. And there's a lot of moral hazard there. Um, if you say for another company, well, is Google is using it and so is Amazon. Well, I'm in a small shop. I mean, who's going to blame me if something goes wrong? Those <laughs> right. guys are using it. <laughs> and I've heard this uh, many times when we're talking about vendors and talking to my general counsel and he's saying, look, Google is using them. Um, why are we worried here? Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't Google do their own risk assessment? What else are we going to do? Yeah. That's a good yeah, point. Google and Amazon word of mouth is strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the one thing that they don't point out, you can put the Google logo on the website, but do they exactly know what to use for? Mm -hmm. Do they actually know what they, the use case is? And maybe it's a small Google shop, like, I don't know, somewhere that's, that doesn't do anything relevant. And same thing for Amazon. So, so I think it's all a matter of context. But generally speaking, companies that have, um, and that's the other way that the companies could also leverage that relationship if they do have the large relationships and say, look, we've gone through this and Google and everyone else is, is using us. Believe it right. or not, it works in quite a few cases. It's kind of mm -hmm. gaming at that point because no one really knows what Google did for them. Right. But, uh, but it helps in many cases as well. Yep. The other thing I've seen, and I've actually uh, done this for companies before, is uh, some vouching. So like if you have a startup that is working with some of those big names and they say, hey, you know, we'd like to come and bring you our solution. Like, OK, so, you know, we're going to you know, do our due diligence, to make sure everything's OK. Like, oh, and by the way, I have a, this really big company that we're currently working with. Would you guys like to have a conversation? And you can see for yourself whether or not, you know, we are right. you know, going to do what we say we're going to do. Exactly. And that, that helps. Absolutely. That helps. Um, but I would also caution that many times the sort of, you can have a relationship, a personal relationship, even with a person in the large company. And I'm, mm -hmm. again, I've, ex I've witnessed this as well. Someone has a good relationship in a company and they will actually get the product in the company. Right. Uh, and at the end of the day, maybe the whole process was not necessarily followed to get the Again, it's it's not always consistent. Right. Especially, so many moving pieces. Yeah. <laughs> especially when someone runs security and they have yeah. a good friend that built a security. <laughs> like, like, this hey, is the best product ever. Right. Yeah. Very we'll true. deal with them and we'll, we'll do something later. So, again, they, they will be vouching for them to, to no end. Uh, so, I've experienced that myself. I experienced where someone had brought in a product. It was a great product. But they haven't done any due diligence really for them. Right. They put a contract in place and were relying 100% on the contractual terms, which is, you know, not necessarily nothing. But if something goes wrong, it's going to be, what are you going to do? Go after a smallest company and say, well, you messed up. Now we got to pay. How are they going to pay? Mm -hmm. They're not going to have the resources. They're, even their insurance wasn't covering things. They, they had like a $3 million cybersecurity. They were dealing with a company that had thousands of people and probably millions of customers. Right. Uh, millions would have been woefully, you know, I mean, completely inadequate. 
for um, for the losses, but they were doing business with them. So yeah, I think even in that case, um, it's helpful if as as a practitioner, if I would ask specifically what due diligence process was followed, mm-hmm. and kind of understand more about the use cases of the large client and uh, sort of the references. Not just call and say, hey, is this a great solution? It right. will work fine and stuff. Right, of course. Yeah. I, I, I like the moral of the story. It seems like the moral of the story is do your diligence. <laughs> <laughs> like all these are great resources, yep. but do your diligence. Yep. Do, do the work. <laughs> Odie, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the, the podcast. We look forward to meeting you uh, at Dev Guild. Uh, what are you going to be talking about at Dev Guild? I know you're on a panel. And then also, how are some ways that people can stay in touch with you to just stay up to date with what you're doing, programs you're working with and all that? Sure. Um, well, I'll be moderating a panel. I intend mm-hmm. to have a very entertaining panel, as entertaining as I can, <laughs> uh, by making the panelists actually um, debate with each other their their approaches. Right. Uh, and we're talking specifically about cloud security. How do you approach this kind of um, very vague idea of cloud security? So you, you want to go to the cloud and you want to build something in the cloud how do you secure it? How do you start? And uh, what's important and what's not? What's a priority? Um, and talk about how different people have approached it and um, kind of um, uh, hopefully provide some insight into the, uh, to the audience. Mm-hmm. So that will, that will be at um, uh, DevGill. I am part of the uh, Security for Startups uh, uh, sort of community. So the group of practitioners that have, have created this uh, blueprint and we have a Slack channel. Um, we're on the Slack channel. People can reach us with questions, and uh, um, basically, we're we're looking forward to to providing uh, insights to the community through that Slack forum. There's also a website. We have a GitHub um, repository with the controls, um, and yes, the, our contact information is in a number of places where people can engage with us. So we'll be happy to um, to answer questions, and uh, yeah, we'll be uh, and plan to be part of a. The community that uh, collaborates with startups and others awesome. fantastic yeah so we can't wait to see you there we hope all the listeners that are listening right now in the bay area we hope that you're there as well remember to use the code hacker valley 15 when you check out get that discount and uh, we hope to see everybody there thank you again uh, for being on the show and uh, this was awesome yes see you on thursday 